All right, I'd like to jump right into the message. And to start, I would like to share a quote from J.D. Greer in his book, Gospel. It is one thing to understand the gospel, but it is quite another thing to experience the gospel in such a way that it fundamentally changes us and becomes the source of our identity and security. It is one thing to grasp the essence of the gospel, but quite another thing to think at its implications for all of life. We are to struggle to explore the mysteries of the gospel on a regular basis and to allow its message to influence our thinking. And the responsive reading that Pastor Steve had shared with us this morning seemed to remind me and highlight some of the things I want to speak about. So I just want to share again from Psalm chapter 5, verses 4 through 6. And it says this, For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. You destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the man of bloodshed and deceit. So what I want to tell you this morning is that, to use that word abhor, hate, I hate the teaching of sinless perfectionism which stands against the gospel rather than being in line with the gospel. The teaching of sinless perfectionism is that the goal of our salvation, the goal of the gospel, is for you to be perfect. And yes, there are some of our brethren, some Christians on the planet, that believe that in this life you will find perfection and that that's the goal of the gospel. Now, I want to stand against that this morning, and I want to tell you that the goal of the gospel is the struggle, is the battle with sin, is the constant moving away from wickedness. That's the goal. That's to the glory of God. Rather than what you will become, the goal of the gospel is to make you who you are today, that you battle, that you actually do the battle of moving away from the lusts of the flesh into the fruits of the Spirit. I believe that will become evident as we go through the message this morning. So what we've been doing here at the Blue Point Bible Church is outlining wickedness. We've been using my book, Wicked, and going through the chapters and sort of outlining and detailing the things I had brought forth as well as what, what the scriptures say. So last week, we talked about chapter 2 of the book, which is talking about carnality, identifying the thief that came to steal, kill, and destroy And I believe we we made it very clear that the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy is man in his carnality, leaning upon his own understanding. It always reaps death and destruction. So today, rather than bringing us into the next chapter of the book, I want to talk about sin. I don't usually preach about sin. However, thinking through the topic of carnality this week what we spoke about last week, and moving into the third chapter of defining wickedness and looking at all the different definitions and examples of wickedness found throughout Scripture, and then being further convicted by some thoughts and studies I had during the week, I wanted to further elaborate on how carnality and wickedness works works in our lives through sin and how we can and must do the work of killing it. I trust you will see the importance of this by the end of today's message. So we've identified that leaning upon our own understanding, defining the world and things in the world according to our own desires will always lead to sin and death. I pray that you had opportunity this week to grow and go and share some of the details of how carnality wreaks sin and death in our world with someone else. I know myself, 
one of the things that I always hear from my generation and my friends, and I actually heard quite a few times this week, was that if I step into a church, I will burn. I mentioned last week that being one of those carnal thoughts that leads people to sin and death. They do not have the opportunity to come into this community and to grow in the grace and knowledge of God as they are called to. So that leads again to sin and death. I had the opportunity twice this week to share and and to reverse that and to say, no, it's not that you have to become perfect to come to church. Rather, the church is where we do the perfecting. It's where we do this battle, where we realize we exhort, implore, and encourage ourselves to move away from leaning upon carnality, our own understandings, and instead to cleave to the knowledge of God, to build the strong foundation as we study, search, and prove the things of God. In chapter 3 of Wicked, I make the following point. Not a day goes by that I do not hear someone griping about how wicked the world is or has become. More often than not, this is followed by misguided frustrations at things that are are affected by wickedness, rather than the root cause of wickedness itself. In order to route our lives and the world of wickedness, we need to properly identify it. One definition of wickedness is that it is a mental disregard for justice, righteousness, truth, honor, virtue, and it's evil in thought and in life. I don't think it could be said any better. I further challenge you, where does such a mental disregard for God's glory come from? I want to challenge you this week to begin reading chapter 3 of Wicked. Do some of the deep study and legwork in an effort to properly define wickedness. Today's message will prayerfully begin that journey for you. So John Owen, an early 1600 Puritan, made it mention in his writing, The Mortification of the Sin, that you must be killing sin or sin will be killing you. On the front of your bulletin this morning, you have the full quote, which he says this. Do you mortify? Mortify again, meaning kill. Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it while you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. John Owen further remarks, The vigor and power and comfort of our spiritual life depends upon our mortification of the deeds of the flesh. So what we're talking about here, sin and death, having to do with the carnal identity. The body of sin that we read about in Scripture is talking about Israel in their flesh and blood identity. They were stuck in the body of sin. The carnal deeds of the body, talking about the Jews that were clinging to their identity as Jews, the Gentiles that were clinging to their identity as Gentiles, therefore making them idol worshipers, rather than coming into the unity of the body of Christ. The fleshly, Lineages. I want to take us to a couple texts here. The first text is going to be Romans chapter 8. We're going to start at verse 10. Romans 8, verse 10. We're going to read up to verse 13. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, that carnal identity is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, again, we're talking to the church at Rome here, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies, those Jews and Gentiles that were clinging to their, well, that were moving away from their identities, that mortal identity, 
They would have life in the body of Christ through the Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we who are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, that carnal identity, for if you, here in verse 13, for if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if the Spirit, by the Spirit, you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Verse 14, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Another text I would just like to turn to quickly is Colossians chapter 3. In Colossians 3, verse 5, we read, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which amounts to idolatry. Again, we know there at Colossae there was a large majority of Jews and Gentiles, and uh, the Gentiles in their idolatry, in their carnal sense, in their carnal body, in that mortal body, that identity was idolatry. Same for the Jews. Their traditions of men that they had built upon one upon another had invalidated the word of God, the promise to their flesh and blood lineage. Therefore, whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, clinging to your mortal identity, your fleshly identity, was tantamount to idolatry. Parker Palmer, a Quaker writer and educator. I'm sorry, going too far in my notes here. What is sin? I love that Psalm chapter 19, verse 12 says, Who can understand his errors? Again, what man is capable of supplying an adequate answer in regards to what is sin? We might say sin is infinite evil. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 says, Sin is a transgression of of the law. We know that the law was given according to the book of Galatians to magnify sin. Because when we look to historic Israel, we see that their sin was increased and led them to the need for a savior. So when we have sin, it emphasizes the need that we will never find life to the full on our own. Instead, we will just continue to listen to the thief who steal kills and destroys God's very best for us. We will never find life in seeking and following carnality. One writer had said that sin reveals an inward enmity that gives rise to outward transgression. Something inner. Where does sin come from? It comes something inner. It's not the individual deeds that we do. Today what we want to recognize is that wickedness, sin, and death are not in the individual deeds that we do. They are in the identity, in the identity that we have the right to choose the Ways that will lead to life. We have the right to choose the things that will lead to satisfaction. That we can lean upon our own understandings and find life. Instead, all that will always reveal is that in our carnality, we are set against God. Sin, then, is an inward state that precedes the evil deeds. It is the state of heart that refuses to be in subjection to God. It's the casting off of the divine law and setting up self-will and self-pleasing in its stead. It's having a complete disregard for God. John Owen, the writer I mentioned earlier, the Puritan writer, he said this, Sin does not only still abide in us, but it is still acting, still laboring to bring forth the deeds of the flesh. When sin lets us alone... We may let sin alone. Listen to this now. When sin lets us alone, we may let sin alone. 
But as sin is never less quiet than when it seems to be the most quiet, and its waters are always for the most part deep when they are still, so ought our contrivances against it be vigorous at all times and in all conditions, even where there is least suspicion. You ever notice that we're not talking about these extravagant sins that pervade our culture. We're talking about the subtle sins that pervade even the Christian culture. The sins that reside within us. Prayerfully, each and every one of us sitting here in this place, we're not fighting against extravagant, outrageous sins, the ones that we see so clearly in Scripture outlined, but we're fighting against the sins that are subtle. The sins of leaning upon our own understanding in the areas that aren't exactly most prominent. Come on, saints, think within yourself. Where are those moments that you lean upon your own understanding? Where are those moments where you demand your right and you don't care what God has to say or you don't want to seek godly wisdom? It's important to make battle with those subtle sins, to be vigorous against the subtle sins that pop up in our lives. You know, I moved away from being a gangbanger into a Christian. So I know a lot of the extravagant, noteworthy sins that are highlighted that most Christians would talk about. We think of the Ten Commandments. That's not what we're talking about here this morning. As we want to, as the body of Christ, want to move away from carnality, move away from wickedness, and destroy and demolish the wickedness that pervades our culture, we need to be recognizing the subtle sins. Where do you call yourself a sinner? In what deeds and actions and thoughts does sin seem to be least suspicious in your life? William Plummer, another Puritan writer, he said this, He who looks upon sin as merely fiction, as misfortune, or as a matter of little importance, sees no necessity either for deep repentance or a great atonement. He who sees no sin inside himself, catch this here, He who sees no sin inside himself will feel no need for a savior. He who is conscious of no evil at work in his heart will desire no change of nature. May we never be those people. May we continue to be an ever-reforming Semper Reformanda Ecclesia, a church that is always reforming and the individuals within this body always seeing the need for change. Always doing the battle of demolishing strongholds that set, them, set themselves up against the knowledge of God. Because that's what the carnal mind will always do, as it is set against the very nature of God. Utilizing John Owen again. Sorry, you know, the Puritans have a lot to say about sin. And I was convic- convicted as I read through uh, the Free Grace broadcaster this past week, The Sinfulness of Sin, and reading some of these writings from men such as Arthur Pink and William Plummer, Thomas Watson, Challenging myself and saying, I really want to challenge the church. I really feel the need to challenge the church this coming Sunday in these regards. So taking another quote from John Owen, he said this. It is our duty to be perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Quoting 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. To be growing in the grace of knowledge and the knowledge of God every day. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. Renewing our inward man day by day. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Now, this cannot be done without the daily mortification of sin. Sin sets its strength against every act of holiness and against every degree we grow to. Let not that man think 
he makes any progress in holiness who walks not over the belly of his lusts. He who does not kill sin in this way takes no step toward his journey's end. He who finds not opposition from it, who sets not himself in every particular area to its mortification, is at peace with it and is not dying to it. You see, this is something we need to be aware of. We need to be going through that list in Galatians chapter 5 of the lusts of the flesh and really challenging ourselves. Not in, again, the, when we read adultery, we say, oh, I, I'm not cheating on my wife. Well, where are those areas that you may be led to that? Where is sin creeping in and trying to pervade your thoughts and your deeds? Examine yourself and then read the fruits of the Spirit and ask yourself, where can I grow in more fruition to these things? Because if you're not growing in them, you're dying. You're sinning because you're not growing in the fullest extent to that which you can grow by way of the Spirit of God. Really sit down and challenge yourself in these regards. And that's how we do the work of killing sin. Now I do want to say something about discipleship and evangelism. Discipleship is what we do here. This is where we can begin to talk about these things, about sin, and have a sin consciousness and focus on these things and challenge ourselves to move away from them. But that is not what we're supposed to be evangelizing with. I'll tell you, it's so dismaying to see the street evangelist always highlighting the law and sin and trying to use that against the world. No. To the world, we have the job to proclaim the gospel, the good news. That there is grace. I always wonder, you know, how do saints teach to grow in the grace and knowledge of God, that which we are commanded to do? To grow in the knowledge of God is easy. We study. To grow in the grace is to identify our sin and then to know the good news. Are you growing in the grace? Are you looking at sin and then realizing how abundant the grace of God is that has been provided through Jesus Christ? Are you really taking that intrinsic look at the carnality that we must move away from and the only way to move away from that carnality is to set our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith? We see the work that we're called to in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 where it tells us that we are called to demolish strongholds and every argument that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Those are sins. Do you have any of those arguments in your life? Where is your carnal mind trying to allow you to be led into arguments against the knowledge of God? Imagine even worse if you're just ignorant of the knowledge of God and you don't even know there is a stronghold there. Challenge yourself in that regard. Ephesians chapter 3.10 says it was, the church, it was given to the church to make known the manifold wisdom of God. Well, where do you know in yourself or maybe in the world that the knowledge of God is challenged? For us not to walk in the fullness of it and to make known the manifold wisdom of God in those regards is sin. Parker Palmer, a Quaker writer and educator, he said this, The power of a fully lived life, which I hope everybody here is seeking, or a truly learned mind, again, I imagine many of us are seeking that as well, is not a power to be sought or contrived. It comes only as we let go of what we possess and find ourselves possessed by a truth greater than ours. Amen. Another text I want to take us to this morning is in the book of Psalms, Psalms 119. This moving away from sin and carnality can never come from ourselves because then all we're doing is leaning upon our own misunderstanding. It must come from the Messiah. It must come from what was provided through Jesus Christ. The only way to move away from sin, I want to emphasize that again, is to focus on Jesus Christ. Psalm 119 verses 1 through 5 say this, How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of their Lord. 
Let's say that only can come through Jesus Christ. Amen. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. That will only come through Jesus Christ. They do no unrighteousness because we have his righteousness. They walk in his ways because we know he is the way. You have ordained your precepts that we should keep them diligently. Oh, that my ways will be established to keep your statutes. That was the hope of Israel. That's what we have through Jesus Christ. That's what we've been raised in. The glorious reality of the body of Christ. When we read Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 and it tells us that we must set our eyes on things that are beautiful and pure and lovely. That's not something that comes natural. Let's face it, when we look out at the world, I know it's so easy for us just to see the the ugly, the sin, the wickedness, instead of seeing the things that God has done. Maybe that's an area we need to challenge ourselves and grow. That's how we grow in the grace of God. I want to take us to Hebrews chapter 12, which I believe places some emphasis on what I'm detailing before us this morning. Tell you, the book of Hebrews could start some trouble. Started some trouble in our Sunday school this morning. But the book of Hebrews makes things very clear. The transition of what we're transitioning into, moving away from. Here, starting at the first verse, we're going to read to verse 17. Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Think about he who was perfect took on sin for the joy that was set before him and ran the race. How much more when we're doing the battle, killing sin, And I'll tell you, it's a battle sometimes. It's a battle to move away from leaning upon your own understanding. But when we do that, we need to keep our eyes on the joy that is set before us. If he who had no sin could do it, how much more should we who have sin, who are doing the battle, do it all the more? For the joy that has been set before us, that he has given us as a gift. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. Right? We're not We're not dying. We're not physically dying and shedding blood in our move in our battle with sin. Neither was this first century church here. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. He scourges everyone whom he receives. We're going to see a disciplining of the Lord as we move away from sin. Amen. It is for this discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there that the father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which you have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we have, if we've had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them, shall we much more, not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, which seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share in his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. You see why this, this battle is tough, but we must fight it. Therefore, 
Verse 12, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many may be defiled, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he had found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. You see, we want to be a people that are moving away from carnality, that are doing the battle with sin because we know righteousness will be revealed to us as we move and we seek to identify that sin, move away from it, cling to his righteousness, repent of it, and lean upon his wisdom rather than our own understanding. C.S. Lewis, famed Christian apologist, said this, Every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you into something a little different than what it was before. Each of us, at every moment, is progressing into one state or another, either into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature. That's the challenge. Every choice. Where are you growing? How are you growing? Now, I want to challenge you with uh, something that I put in our bulletin this morning to help you grow into a heavenly creature rather than a hellish creature is uh, this growth chart here. Second Peter chapter 1 growth chart is what I'm calling it. And I want to share one more quote with, you, quote with you from Craig Dykstra. He said this in regards to practices of the Christian. He said, Christian practices are not activities we do to make something spiritual happen in our life. Again, remembering that quote from earlier, that it's not something that we can do on our own, that we can, we can challenge ourselves with. That's not the move away from sin, the move into the greater purpose of God, the perfection of God, is not something we can do in and of ourselves. It's not something we do to make something spiritual happen in our lives. Nor are they duties that we have undertaken to be obedient to God. Rather, they are patterns of communal action that create openings in our lives where the grace, mercy, and the presence of God may be made known, may be made known to us. They are places where the power of God is experienced. In the end, these are not ultimately our practices, but forms of participation in the practice of God. So another quote I had read was healthy systems sustain growth. So I began to think about this in my own life and wanted to bless us with this this week. So in 2 Peter chapter 1, we read this. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ, seeing that his divine power has granted everything pertaining to life and godliness. Oh, glory to God. Through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Right? That heavenly nature, heavenly creature. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lusts, that hellish creature. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith supply, and then it gives us a list. And this is what I want to challenge you with this growth chart to do. Where are you applying all diligence in your faith to find moral excellence, to find knowledge, to find self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love? Because according to 2 Peter chapter 1, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ.
as I said, healthy systems sustain growth. So what I'm going to challenge you to do this week is to take this home. Grow in these regards. Challenge yourself. Kill sin. Move away from leaning upon your own understanding, your own way of living, your own thoughts, and move into a way that is increasing the useless, the usefulness and the fruitfulness of your life in his kingdom. Amen? So let's continue to do that. Let's grow and go in that regard. Our grow and go for this week is going to be to do this exercise and to share this exercise with someone else. Bless someone's else, someone else's life so that they will be useful and fruitful in the kingdom of God as well. Thank you. Go in peace.